the 1960s and 70s were a time of war, drug use, and anti-establishment sentiment. A time when a majority of the next generation revolted against what the government was doing and where culture as a whole was headed. And it was this level of dissatisfaction with the status quo where the gospel of Jesus found its breeding grounds. In a generation that was burnt out on religion and found no true lasting satisfaction in their debauchery, sensuality, and heavy drug use, they turned to Jesus. On account of the radical love found in the gospel that he displayed on the cross. And they found hope. And as they baptized hundreds of people on that Californian coast, Jesus' name was glorified. This movement, maybe you've heard of it, is called the Jesus Movement. You may have heard of, of Chuck Smith or Calvary Chapel, but, but this story will never lose its potency. Because when the love and hope of Jesus transforms an entire generation, that is something truly miraculous. And, and in this case, the church welcomed in many who, who, who the culture considered outsiders and welcomed them in with love and the love of Jesus. And, and I want you to notice something about this story. It wasn't a bunch of 90-year-olds sitting and, and doing their religious traditions. It wasn't them uh, just going through the motions. No, it was God moving through the hunger that young people had for something greater than themselves. Every revival has been an act of God using this, this hunger to advance something greater, to advance the kingdom of God. That's what Next Gen Sunday is about. That's what our kids' ministry, our, our youth ministry, our young adults' ministry, that's what they are about. They're about coming around this next generation. We are called to invest and pour into this next generation. Jesus' last words to his disciples were, go and make disciples of all nations. And that includes this next generation. We cannot let these ministries that week in and week out are pouring into and shaping our young people be left as silos to fend for themselves. It takes a village. It takes a loving and caring church to come around this generation, to, to take the time to, to walk with them, to serve in these ministries, to see the next generation begin to be on fire for God. But the question isn't, how do we come around this next generation? I think the best example we see is in Scripture. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul comes around a young man and, and invests in him so heavily, and, and his name is Timothy. And, and he invests in him so much to the point where Timothy becomes a pastor of a church. And, and so today, if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. But, but Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, and, and he says he's encouraging him. He's instructing him on how to live and, and investing in him. But he also gives us a good framework. In, in 1 Timothy 4, verses 11 through 12, he gives us this good framework of how we actually come around, how we encourage, empower, and learn from this next generation. So it says... 
command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Command and teach these things. I love that Paul is, is so clear with Timothy. He's saying, these next words that I'm about to say to you are vital to the health and the future of your church. And so they are to be commanded and taught to the entire church. So what does this verse lay out? It, it first says this, let no one despise you for your youth. So what are we called to do to the next generation? We are called to encourage them. It, it, many, many people in Timothy's church were looking down on Timothy because he was younger. But Paul is writing this to challenge and tell the church that, no, don't judge Timothy just because he's young. But rather, you need to come around him and encourage him. You need to be the biggest cheerleader you can. And that's true for this next generation. We need to come around them and cheer for them and build them up. And how we talk to and about this next generation can have far-reaching implications for their growth and their future. Ikea, of all companies, did a study where they took two plants, okay? They kept them in controlled environments, and they, uh, had, the spe- they had these speakers in there saying words. And, and one plant, they said words of encouragement, words of encouragement. And, and it was like, dude, you're doing so great. You're so green. Good job. Keep growing. And, and this other plant, what they did is they, they had this kind of negative talk, this, this despising or, or criticism saying like, you're not going to be that big. You're not going to grow that strong. You're barely even green. What are you doing? And so between these two plants, they, they left them same amount of water, same amount of sunlight. After a couple of weeks, they began to see some results. And, and the plant that had received the encouragement, that it received that positive affirmation, was strong and, and growing and green and powerful. But the plant that had heard the criticism nonstop and was put down withered away. And so we, how, how we talk about this next generation is so vital to their growth. If we're speaking words of encouragement, we're going to see them grow strong. But, but if we look at them and, and we, we criticize them or despise them, their souls, their very souls are going to wither away. And our encouragement to this next generation needs to be one focused solely on their identity in Christ. That they would know who they are. I, I remember I worked at, I work at Trout Creek Bible Camp. And uh, one, one day I was facing a kind of a challenge in leadership. And I had this mentor. And I, I came to him and I said, listen, I'm feeling discouraged. I'm feeling like insecure. I don't know what God is calling me to do. But in this moment, he pointed me to a passage of scripture, and it was Jesus when he's baptized. And, and, and there's this moment where Jesus goes under the water, and he comes out, and God the Father speaks and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
And this was before Jesus had started his ministry, before he'd done anything good or bad. And what God thought about him was, he's so beloved. I am so delighted in him. And when we receive and accept the gospel of Jesus and our next generation receives that, they take on that identity because what's true about Jesus becomes true about us. And so we need to look at that next generation and not just encourage them with, hey, you're doing great at this and, and you know, we don't want to be fake or anything, so don't encourage them in things that they're not doing great in, you know, but, but we want to encourage them. And, and the most encouraging thing we can do is proclaim their identity in Christ, that they are the beloved, that they are completely forgiven and they are completely righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. That is what we need to encourage them with. Because that is the most foundational and encouraging truth any of us can hear. And, and once they understand that identity, after this mentor showed me that, that passage, I was able to move forward and make a decision, not because I had figured it out or not because I was smart enough, but because God had called me beloved, and now I could live confidently in that. And so we're called uh, not to despise young people, but to encourage them to grow in their understanding of who Jesus has created them to be, their, their identity and their calling. And, and the, the next thing we see is it says, but set the believers an example. But how can this next generation be examples if they have nobody to lead them in how to be examples? They, they don't have an example to follow. So we need to, we need to empower this next generation. We're called to empower them. And, and empowerment is more than just, you know, encouraging or, or giving them a to-do list. Empowerment is walking alongside them. And, and the Bible captures this in, in a word called discipleship. Discipleship. Uh, a, a famous theologian, Dallas Willard, explains discipleship like this. Discipleship is being with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become like what that person is. An apprentice of Jesus is learning from him how to lead their life as he would lead their life if he were they. Basically what that's saying is discipleship as us following Jesus is how would Jesus live if he was me? And then try to live that out. And, and what discipleship to the next generation looks like is taking on the same mantra and same ideas as Paul. Imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ. As I follow after Jesus. And what God wants to do is use you and your discipleship to him to disciple this next generation because they need to be discipled. They're longing for that discipleship relationship. And here's the reality. It's not the pastors of the church that need to do the discipling. It's the church, you, sitting in this room. You need to rise up and disciple this next generation. And when I said that, maybe some of you kind of felt a little like, oh, I don't, a little scared, uh, a little worried, um, maybe a little resistant to a calling in your life to, to reach this next generation. But, but you don't need to be scared. I, I think of Moses, uh, a story found in the Bible uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. Moses, he, he was a Hebrew man that grew up in an Egyptian household, saw an Egyptian hurting a Hebrew, beating him up, killed the Egyptian, and ran away. And as he's running from his problems, who shows up but God, right? He shows up, and he's this burning bush that's on fire but not on fire. 
And, and God shows up and Moses is like, oh my goodness. And God's like, hey Moses, I've been looking for you. I've been chasing after you. Uh, you know that place you're running from? I wanna use you. Go back to that place and tell them to set my people free. Man, what a calling. And, and Moses, you know, he's like terrified because first of all, God himself is showing up and talking to him. But also he's like, I don't want to go do that. And so he's like, I, I, I'm, not a good, I'm not good at public speaking, not a good talker. And, and uh, God, and, and a lot of people like see that and are like, man, why is Moses so weak? Why couldn't he have just trusted God in that moment? But I think this is a key step that, that many of us miss. When we are scared to follow the calling of God, that is not a moment for shame. That is a natural human reaction. God calls us to big things and we can get scared. But what we need to do is be honest with God. That's all he asks. And so we, we can come before, like, before God like Moses and say, I don't know if I can do this. And you know what God responded to Moses in that moment? Who gave man their mouths so they can speak? Who created man that they should even be able to talk? Was it not I, the Lord? And, and many people would read this too as like a slam dunk on Moses. Like, come on, Moses. Boom, Jesus, God, God's got it. He's created you. He knows what he's doing. But I actually see this as a tender moment of God coming alongside Moses and saying, I have prepared you with everything you need. I am enough. And, and he reminds Moses that the best thing he has is God's presence with him. So maybe you're feeling this calling and feeling scared. Be honest about that, but also know that God has given you everything you need and the most important thing, his presence with you as you step out because we're all called to pour into this next generation. And when, when he calls you, God actually wants to use your story, how he's designed you, how he shaped you, how he taught you to have a real impact on this next generation. Th this whole vision of the church coming around young people was actually God's design. That, that older, this older generation would be able to impart wisdom. But, but I wanna say something real quick. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. That's okay. Uh, or maybe you did grow in church and you didn't experience this discipleship type relationship. But I want, what I want you to hear, if that's your story, is that God still wants to use you to influence this next generation because you also have an added motivation. You didn't get this, but now you have the opportunity. So you are so valuable in this moment because you need to, to use your story and how God has shaped you to influence the very future of someone's life. And maybe you walked in here and you don't know where you're at with the Lord. Maybe you're still wrestling with the claims of Jesus. Is he God? Is he not God? I just want to say welcome. And this whole topic about transformation, about the, us becoming and, 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 and being in God's presence and acting like him, this is for you. This transformation, this gospel message that God loves you. He wants to transform your life. That's for you. And we need to tell that to all people. But today we're talking about the youth and we're called not only to train them, but also to empower them is also is giving them space 
advocating for places and spaces where they can use how God has gifted them to advance his kingdom. I remember my first time speaking uh, at youth group. Uh, the youth pastor at the time, Nolan, he, he came up to me and was like, hey, Jordan, I'd really love for you to give a talk. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. I was like a sophomore in high school. I, I didn't know. And he's like, no, 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 I see something in you. God has gifted you for teaching, for, for talking. And, and so I want, I want to foster that in you. And so I, I remember I wrote like a, a page of notes that was basically just like a script I was going to read word for word, 12-point font, Times New Roman, single space, you know, the whole deal, okay? <laughs> I got up and I gave the talk, and it was like 10 to 12 minutes, and it was whatever. But what I remember most from that moment is not the talk I gave or how well I did or didn't do. What I remember is how valuable I felt in that moment. There was this shift that happened when, when Nolan called me to something higher. I no longer was a consumer of what the church was doing. I was a participant in pushing forward in the gospel message in this city. And that is a powerful, powerful moment in my story. I, I, I found a responsibility. It was no longer just up to the church. And, and so when we and the youth of this generation experience the power of God, we have, we have ways we need to respond. If you're, if you're a young person, you need to respond by rising up and doing ministry. And, and, and this older generation, we need to empower them by giving them space to do ministry. I, I think so much about the kids' ministry. They literally have kids greeting kids on their way in. They have kids leading the the motions for worship, and we had them up here today, and it was such a pleasure to see them serving because, to be completely honest, this is not the church of the future that we are raising up. This is the church that we are raising up. And so our message to the next generation needs to be, you are not benched. We're not sidelining you. You need to get in the game and start moving and giving them space to figure out their calling now, Nolan could have been totally off. I could have went up there and bombed. I don't think he was, but, but he gave me space to explore and, and figure out what God had called me to and how he gifted me, and we need to do that for this next generation so that they can use their God-given potential to join in kingdom work. The verse continues saying, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity, we are called to actually look to the example of this next generation. Paul writes this, I think, as a challenge to this next generation, that these young people would have such amazing character that they would be so outstanding in all these areas that we could look to them as examples. And the we is the church, that the church could look and follow after, that they'd actually set our standard in our culture of what, what we are as a church. Man, if this were to happen, what a difference it would make in our church, in our cities, in our schools. But also I find myself so in awe and encouraged of when it does happen. I, I have youth students that, that come to youth group and I'm just like, wow, I wanna be like them when I'm older. <laughs> There's this one youth student, her name is Kylie Thompson and, and she shows up to every Bible study. She shows up early. She's like 
every Wednesday she's serving, holding the doors open. We needed people in kids' ministry for this service, and she volunteered and is serving in the kids' ministry right now. Um, and, and there's this one story that I love where she, it just on a Sunday, prayed for, prayed for a man in the lobby. And she didn't know this, but, but that man had actually been wrestling with a lot of, he had a difficult week in wrestling with like struggling to trust God that, that he was okay and things were good. And, and so Kylie just prayed for him and, and he said that was one of the most encouraging things that God could have done. And he used Kylie. But do you know why Kylie stepped out? It's because she was obedient to the spirit of God. The spirit prompted her and said, go pray for this person. And she responded with, yes, I will. That is something I wanna do. And, and we see this all throughout scripture, but also in our church, that the spirit is not worried about our age or our maturity, but he's worried about obedience and willingness. I mean, think of Daniel and David, but also I, I love to think about the mother Mary. She was a teen mom that was not married. Can you imagine the gossip in town? She said that God got her pregnant. Come on, right? And, and I, I can imagine Mary hearing all the murmurings and, and it's getting back to her. And she's, it's easy. It would be easy for me at least to feel discouraged. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't, shouldn't have said yes to this. Maybe God is wrong. Maybe he chose the wrong person. I don't know if I can do this. But what we see is Mary is faithful and obedient to the spirit of God. And he says, I want to use you. And she says, for what? Let's go. Come on. And without Mary, we wouldn't even have Jesus. But she, since she was obedient, we can see that God used her in an incredible way. And, and, and the disciples, I mean, they were literally a bunch of teenage boys, which makes Jesus, you know, the first youth pastor, which is pretty cool. But... Uh, <laughs> The, the disciples, they were really immature. They argued about who was the greatest among them. Like, nobody does that by high school boys, right? They're like, no, I'm better, I'm better. It's like, it doesn't matter. What are you talking about? Uh, but, but one of the most immature, I think, of the disciples is Peter. He had, like, foot and mouth disease. He just spoke without thinking all the time. And he got himself into trouble. But what I love is that Peter, even though he was headstrong and immature, God used him. And what, what I doubly love about Peter is God used him even in his failure. In the moment that Jesus needed Peter the most, Peter denies him three times. But then, but then Jesus comes back and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, of course I love you. Feed my sheep. And, and this goes on and Jesus restores Peter and then God uses Peter to build his church. Why? Because even though Peter was young, he was obedient to the Spirit. Man, over and over again, we see God use these young people that are just willing. And if that is not an example to follow, I don't know what is. As the church, as we pour into this next generation, we need to catalog these stories. And we need to hear them and, and repeat them and be encouraged, but also be challenged to step up, to see how this next generation, how they walk and talk and love and believe in God and live in purity. 
And what I love about Paul and Timothy's relationship is that Paul is writing this letter uh, as a kind of example of, and, of how he is fighting for Timothy. And that's the last thing I want to touch on. Is we need to fight for this next generation. We need to fight for them. Being a young person today is difficult. How many of you, raise your hands, uh, when you were 11, everyone in your class had a smartphone? <laughs> Nobody, right? Social media and smartphones have transformed the social terrain in which our young people live. I mean, think about it. And maybe, maybe you don't have to imagine this, but, but imagine with me. You spend eight to nine hours a day scrolling comparing everybody else's highlight reel to your mundane, boring life. That is a recipe for insecurity, for dissatisfaction with the present. And we've actually seen social media use linked to measurable increases in depression, social anxiety, and isolation. There's been a shift in youth culture. I mean, Kids today aren't even getting their license because they just hang out in digital spaces. But I, but I think all of social media and, and f- smartphones speak to a, a reality that we need to face today. The reality that, that in the spiritual realm, this next generation is valuable territory. And there is a very real enemy waging war on the souls of our very kids. And he's using every weapon in his arsenal to distract and keep them from the truth of Jesus. But here's the good news. God desperately wants every child, every middle schooler, every high schooler, and every young adult to encounter his loving presence and be encouraged and be empowered and be the examples for the church. I work at Trout Creek Bible Camp, like I mentioned earlier, and and we see about 300 kids come through uh, during our weekly programs. And I remember this one week, there was this girl on on our first day of camp on Monday morning, and she was wearing all black in like July and and reading a book and sitting like under a tree, which it sounds pretty nice, but I was like, my, my is she being left out alarm went off. And so I went to go check in with her and I was like, hey, how's it going? What are you reading? What's your name? Kind of just, you know, casual talk. She was reading The Lord of the Rings. So she was like doing good, but I just wanted to check in. And so I remember seeing her at the beginning of the week, but I didn't really see her much until that Thursday. And and that Thursday, what we do is we do like a talent show where kids can come and showcase their talents. And and she came to the auditions to kind of sing a song, but but also the auditions we we were doing a practice for a skit called the Lifehouse Skit. And if you haven't heard of the Lifehouse Skit, it's basically the story of the gospel, that Jesus, there's this girl in perfect relationship, but she's tempted away and turns to to seeking after fame and money and drugs, eventually leading to self-harm. But then Jesus comes in and rescues her and takes her place. And at this audition, they were just kind of like running through it. It wasn't like they had costumes on or anything. But this girl who was there to sing a song saw them practicing and understood the gospel. And she started weeping and ran out. And I found out later she went to go find her counselor to just talk and say, what does this mean? 
And that next night, we had a worship night, and that girl came and found me and was crying. But this time, it was tears of joy. And she said, Jesus has saved my life, and I have never, ever been happier. That is an incredible story of the gospel finding somebody. And I don't know the whole story of this girl, but what I do know is she was running for a long time. She had been believing the lies of the enemy and being held captive to them. But that week she found hope and freedom in Jesus and the gospel. We need to fight to see Jesus break these chains of sin, of lies, and bring the captives into his loving arms. How do we best fight for the good? I think Ephesians 6 gives us a pretty clear outline. I'm gonna read verse 11. It says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12 continues, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are not fighting an us versus them culture war against people, trying to be the person with the moral high ground. No, we are fighting a spiritual battle that has eternal stakes. The most amazing news, though, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has already won the war on the cross. And that, that when we put our faith and hope in him, he paid for our sin on the cross and three days later rose again in victory, defeating death, hell, and the enemy. But as a church, we need to come to this realization that there are many young people that still do not know and are living chained and bound by lies. We need to fight for them by boldly proclaiming the gospel to this next generation. And, and, and verse 13 through 18 of, of Ephesians 6 lays out you know, the, the armor of God and all these things that we can put on to fight against the spiritual enemy. But, but I want to focus in on verse 18. It says this, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayers and supplications. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. How can we best fight for this generation? We need to proclaim the gospel, but we also need to fall to our knees in intercessory prayer to the Father for our kids, for our youth, for the young adults. Because when we pray, strongholds will crumble. Lies will be replaced with truth. Chains and, and sin habits will break. And the Spirit of God will move. But without him moving, without that prayer, our attempts will be futile. We are in desperate need of the presence of God in any fight that we make. So I just want to summarize, we need to be a church that prays for this next generation. We need to be a church that, that preaches the gospel to this next generation. And if you are called what you are, you need to fight 
And one of the ways you can fight is join those ministries that are clearly and passionately week after week proclaiming the gospel. We have our kids' ministry, our youth ministry, our young adults' ministry. Get involved. Preach the gospel. Spend time discipling. I think also we need to fight a fight in our own lives, a fight to live the life that we would want this next generation to imitate, that we would live and, and walk with God in a way that we would want them to live and walk, in, walk with God in. And, and the last way we need to fight is that we need to fight for these young people that are, that are just being raised up to have a space at the table because this is as much as their church is, as it is ours. And that's why today and days like today matter so much. Because we, I mean, think about all the kids serving. We are giving them space to be the church. They also need to have their thoughts and ideas be heard on how we do church and, and how we move forward as a community because the same spirit of God that dwells in one of, each of us dwells in them. And I just wanna right now participate in fighting for this next generation. And, and I wanna invite you into it. If you are a youth, young adult, or in, in the kids ministry, would you actually come forward right now? Come forward right here and, and we wanna pray over you. And as they're coming forward, I just wanna ask you this question. Imagine if what we just outlined became our reality. If we practiced it, if we saw young people be encouraged, if we saw young people be empowered and discipled and given opportunities to explore their calling. And, and what if we learn from their examples that they, they show us and how they are obedient and trust in the Lord? So with all these young people here, I want them to kind of scoot to the middle, scoot to the middle. And actually, I want you to turn around. Because we just went through this all theologically. We went through all this, you know, ethereally. But what I want you to invite you to is to see these faces and know behind that each face is a name and a story. And they are each uniquely designed by God and designed for a purpose to build his kingdom. So as you heard how to do it, the challenge is let's go do it. Let's be a church that, that encourages, that empowers, and that learns and fights for this next generation. Let's pray as we, we fight in the spiritual realm for this next generation. God, we love you. We are so thankful for this next generation that they are your church and Lord, I pray right now that, that you would just begin to work in their hearts and minds and, and foster the hunger for you, God, that they would find no satisfaction in anything else but in you. And Lord, I pray for our church right now that we would be a church that gathers and empowers and comes behind this next generation, pushing them forward, calling them to where God is moving, and that we would be on their side no matter what? God, we love you. We're so thankful for this next generation and how you are beginning and working even right now in their lives. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.